It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is an award-winning short filmmaker. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, my name's Jörn Frofel. Um I've just made a film called Over, which seems to be, yeah, resonating quite um, quite widely on the festival circuit, actually. Yeah, so we can, can, we, we can say what you've won so far. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's, been, it's been quite quite an amazing little run, actually, for this for this little film. Um, I, I, I started in Palm Springs with the Shorts Fest. I picked up the Grand Jury Prize there. Okay. Um, did, uh, yeah, did, got a Grand Prix at Odense in Denmark and then just now Uppsala in Sweden. Um, I won the Best of British in Bristol. Um, St. Petersburg is just a, a, a win there. Um, God, Chicago is a silver plaque. <laughs> I sound like I'm blowing my own bugle here. No, 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 I? and that's what else you're meant to do. That's what you're meant to do in here. <laughs> um, so. uh, yeah, so it's been it's been quite an amazing run actually, and then I won one at the Hamptons as well recently in in uh, in the US. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of resonated all over really, both both in North America and in Europe, which has been fantastic because I wasn't expecting it to to be as kind of widely um, you know praised in the US really, if I'm honest. Okay, okay, well that's. I mean, have you, have you been going travelling with your, with your film? Have you you been... know what? I've been doing bits and pieces. Mm. I, 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 was in, I was in Telluride this summer with it, which was a fantastic experience. Yeah. Um, uh, I, went, I, I went to the Hamptons. Yeah, I've been to a couple of festivals, but yeah, I haven't been able to get, to, get everywhere, unfortunately. Ken, before we get into the film, then, do you want, do you, uh, just struck me then, that, so that given the rides you've had with the festivals, I mean, obviously awards aside, which is very gratifying. What do you, what do you think is the, the benefits to the filmmaker of sort of going to these festivals if you've got films there and stuff? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, definitely um, meeting other filmmakers, yeah. uh, meeting producers, meeting <clears throat> cinephiles, like-minded people. Absolutely. is kind of invaluable, really. But also, I think just being there, people can put a face to a film, um, you know, actually being able to talk to people face to face about your project, mm. um, rather than people kind of reading about it or kind of speculating on their own. I think that's, you know, it's just a fantastic thing to do. And I think it just offers a great little support really for, for the film. Now your film's called Over and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm under strict instructions to say nothing. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to give us a brief synopsis of what the film is. Great. All right, Stuart. Um, over is a 14-minute film um, <clears throat> that takes place in a suburban neighbourhood uh, in West London. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell the story backwards, um, meaning it starts at the end of the day and goes back incrementally to the beginning of the day over, I think, the course of about nine wide static shots. Mm. So it's very economical, it's very sparse, it's very minimal. Mm. And we discover at the start of the film... Um, that there's been 
some sort of accident. Something's happened in this suburban neighborhood on this street. Mm. There's a bunch of flowers lying by the side of the road. Now, for most people, that means a hit and run. Most people, it means someone's been knocked but hit by a car. Um, it's that sort of thing. So we're, we're led to believe there's been some sort of accident. Now, as we move through to the second scene, um, we uh, see a street cleaner. He's uh, hosing down the street, and there's a little hint of um, blood on the road, mm. a little hint of, uh, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit deeper into the story. I'm offering a few little teasers here and there. Mm. Um, we move on. There's a, um, we go back, keep going back in time, I think, <coughs> maybe about 2 p.m. Um, I think there's a tow truck that's taking away a car. Um, there's a dad and his son. We see a little boy playing with a football. Again, God, did something happen to a kid? Little teases that way. Um, and then little by little, I start to introduce evidence photographs, photographs of balaclava, photographs of money, all bagged up, police evidence photographs, mm. um, trousers, shoes, bloodstained clothes, that sort of thing. And then that kind of ties in with the last few shots of the film where we introduce a forensic scene where the forensics, um, a body's taken away. Um, so we know that someone's been killed or someone's been involved in some sort of accident. Um, and we go further back. We go to the discovery of the body by a guy walking his dog. Mm. Um, passes by, just don't see the body. Life just carries on as normal. Um, and then in the final shot, which I actually won't tell you what happened. No, I don't think we um, should. Think, we, we reveal what actually hap has happened in this in this kind of quiet, unassuming suburban neighbourhood. Mm. And I I um, I challenge anyone to 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 guess what's happened. Correct? No, no, no. And I and I, I I can testify as someone that watched it. It was. I, I, I'm not sure whether it was as it happened or just before it was happening, but it dawned on me. Uh -huh. And I gulped. It was kind of like, and I don't know if I gulped as as I'm watching it. Yeah. But I think that the uh, and and the way you've described it is 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 obviously the way it, way it flows. So let's let's talk about that first. So in the scripting of this, where where did you start with this? Did you start with the idea I'm going to do this role reversal thing, or sorry, the story reversal? the chronology because you basically start at the end and work your way to the yeah, end, don't you? Exactly. No, I didn't. It didn't. It didn't start like that. I mean, I I, I read a little newspaper article actually because it's originally based on a, a real event. Of course. So yeah, I just yeah. read a little nugget mm. um, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, and it stayed with me because it's it was such a shocking, surreal, tragic, desperate mm. event that that takes place in a remarkably kind of. Um, mundane, kind of ordinary, uh, you know, uh, the neighbourhood, and so there was something incredibly interesting for me about this really bizarre event taking place in a very normal place, uh, and it was the tension that that kind of that offered really stayed with me, and you know, it sat with me, and it was just kind of just stating, and it just sat with me, and it's playing in the back of my head, and I was thinking a number of ways of telling the story. I knew I wanted to tell the story yeah. uh, and recreate it somehow, and you know, there was a you know, there's a, a conventional way of telling the story. I could have just followed it, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of a narrative, a simple conventional narrative way, moving forward as most films do in time. Um, I could have, you know, offered quite a visceral. Um, kind of handheld version of events uh, and showed what 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 happened kind of stage by stage, scene by scene as the day progressed. 
So, you know, there was certainly a very kind of, you know, conventional um, way of telling this story. But then last summer I sat down and I thought, I really want people to perceive what happened in this street, this incredibly, you know, sad, surreal event. I really want to perceive it in a slightly different way. I want people to really remember this, um, this event. Um, and I, and, you know, and that made me think increasingly that I didn't want to tell it conventionally. I really wanted to offer it something a little bit special, something a bit different, something, you know, unexpected and intriguing. Um, so it would hook people even more, perhaps, than they might otherwise have been hooked by the, the just the regular sequence of events. So I really came across this idea of, you know, starting, you know, at the end and then working backwards. Um, and it, what, the reason for doing that really was to, 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 to tell the viewer as they start watching the film that something is going to happen. They are going to see something revealed mm. at the end of the film because every, every scene, every shot has a, has a time uh, um, written uh, into the screen. So it's mm. like a time of day. And then and, and, and they realize, obviously, after the, the second shot, that, 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 that we're moving back in time to the beginning of a day. And I think that, that kind of reversal gives people a sense that they're going to they're gonna be offered a piece of information. They're going to be offered a reveal of some sort by the time the film finishes. And I think that intrigues them. Mm. I think that kind of makes the viewer lean forward. I think it makes the viewer kind of just focus and concentrate a little bit more. Um, and, 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 and I just felt... Because of the surrealness of the event itself, I didn't want to give that away um, too early. I, I, I wanted the whole film to be predicated on what the hell happened, and I think that was the way of, you know, executing it um, in a in a in as effective a way as possible. And I think it's worked. I hope it's worked. Well, yeah, and obviously, obviously the. Um I mean, what, not obviously at all. Um, from when I watched it, the um, the setting is 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 surreal in in the extreme. Yeah. Because, mm. because it is for those for those who are listening who are in England. If you can picture the most serene mm. kind of cul-de-sac with a yeah. green in front, the green in the middle of it, yeah, British yeah. suburban place. Exactly. You know, it's as it's as innocent as they come. You know, you can almost smell the Sunday dinner being cooked. Kind of thing, <laughs> exactly you know? it's, right. It's, exactly it's, right. It's, it's as it's as British as as a norm as it comes, and that and that in itself, it, it's it's where nothing happens, isn't it? Yeah, precisely. And I, that, and I think that's what you've you've kind of you've kind of taken this incident and and played it to show it as 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 what a su- surreal surprise it is in that. I mean, yeah, for example, exactly. And I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, for example, the one the one bit that really stood out for me was was the dog walker. Yeah, because he plays it brilliant. I mean, he play even he plays it surprising because obviously you're in the throes of trying to work out what's going on, and mm-hmm. he's walking towards the figure that's on that's on the road, and he he doesn't he, he obviously in in that world that he's in he's not used to seeing figures on the road. Oh, absolutely, and absolutely, and. and he, it, it, there's a, there's, even though you've got the, sh- the shot is a while away, you know we can still appreciate that there's a, there's an incredible amount of incredulity in his reaction rather than horror because the horror is what comes second, and then the yeah. panic, and then the panic. You know, it's kind of and it's interesting exactly that, exactly right. And st- I think that's it. It's like you're right. That dog walker, you know, he's he, he's doing what he does every day um, uh, in in a neighbourhood where. I don't know. The, probably the most exciting thing he'll see is 
I don't know, maybe a car being towed away or a car, a car alarm going off or, yeah. or I don't know, a, a domestic or something like that. We might hear something, but and it's so profoundly disturbing what he sees, you know, uh, in contrast to what usually happens there, which is essentially very little. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it just completely kind of, um, sim- yeah, it's a great, it's a great example of what's really happening kind of it's in, 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 during the whole film, really, in this very unassuming place. That, that something so shocking can land there. Obviously, I, I, knowing the ending, I know the ending to be true to the to what the news reported. But how much how much of what you play out as the story is is grounded in truth, and how much was your was your yeah. uh, need to sort of dramatize the the, the um, story to well, work for I mean, you? Obviously, obviously, the event itself, you know, is the event. Um, I think what I did was I worked. Um, quite closely with a former detective from Scotland Yard, actually, who wasn't involved in this particular case. But he helped me piece together what might happen in a situation like this in terms of police procedure. Yeah, so it was really, you know, just working through the the order of events, really, in terms of how the police would respond to a a scene like this. Mm. Um, So it's really just the configuration of the, the neighborhood, the location, where the police would come in, where the tape would be, you know, put, where the forensics would come, who would be inside the tape, who would be outside the tape. All that, um, you know, was something I worked through with the police. I mean, the event itself took place in West London. wasn't exactly where I shot it. Mm. But, um, you know, I, 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 the research I did from interviews on the BBC and, you know, interviews that I'd read, transcripts, um, you know, were based on, you know, the guy who came along and cleaned the street, uh, for example, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, the little, um, the bits and pieces, the evidence that was found on the scene. You know, things like that are all based on truth. Mm. Um, but then I kind of ran with it. One of the standout things about it, and I'm guessing it's one of the things that made it, because um, reading, you know, reading the article on the, I should have said actually, you were you were, you were one of the star, screen stars of Tomorrow 2015 just recently. I am, to yeah. Lovely <laughs> celebration there. And I was reading in the article <laughs> that there, <laughs> I was reading in uh, the article there about how how little the the short cost, and I don't people can read what it costs for themselves, but sure. um, you're. Choice of shots is really interesting. Yeah. They're, <clears throat> it's, it's very static. Yeah. And it's static to the point that, that um, for, for what we're used to these days, at very least, um, it, it's, it, makes you, it can make you uncomfortable. And I mean, and I mean that in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. As in, as in we begin to start to look close. You're naturally, even though you're not leaning, your eyes are going, what am I meant to be looking for? Exactly, because we're used to something happening, aren't we? And it's kind of exactly, exactly. Um, that that was exactly what I was intending with that. I mean, yeah. I think that economy of using you know wide static shots really. I mean, it could do two things actually, Stuart. What it could do is, on one hand, it can turn the viewer off, mm. and you know, and, and 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 you know, you risk boring a viewer. You know, it's 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 it, it, it's quite an audacious thing to do as a filmmaker because mm. you know it can go two ways. So what I needed to do is find that balance, and I needed to make sure that I was holding the viewer enough with these wide static shots, just offering them enough little bits of information, enough little bits of evidence, enough teases, bit detail. As you said, what are we supposed to be looking at? Suddenly we might hear something, for mm. example, because the, the dialogue, um, of course, is very, very low. It's very distant because the shots are wide. Mm. So I stay true to that. I don't highlight any dialogue. So you have to listen very carefully if you want to hear stuff. 
mm. you know. So again, that's intentional. You make the viewer kind of crane, lean forward, have to listen. They can focus and concentrate. In the same way, it's like with a wide shot. What are you supposed to be looking at? Um, you know, I might throw a misdirect in. I might make someone look over to one side of the screen where the little boy is playing with a football and maybe give that a little bit too much importance, perhaps. So the viewer might think, oh, my God, does this involve a kid getting hurt or getting hit by a car? That mm. sort of thing. But really, it's actually what's going over on the, on the other side of the screen that's actually, you know, probably the, 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 the important um, you know, uh, area in the, in the frame. So there's so much to play with there if you're holding a wide shot. And I think it's all about involvement, viewer involvement. How much can you offer them? How, how little can you offer them, you know, to, to sustain their interest, you know, and hold them, um, to get them, as you say, to let them look around the frame, to do their own work. Uh, and they become, in a way, participants in this. Mm. Even though they're behind a barrier, you know, literally, like, it, what, it, they can't get close to the action because the shot is wide and I don't offer close-ups. So it feels like on one level they're behind a barrier. But on another level, they become participants. They try and work out from that distance what the hell's been going on. So they are the people that really work out, you know, as the film progresses, what, what, what might or might not happen. Well, I th and I think, I think the choice of it as well is that you've, because I, I can't, I can't overemphasize the kind of normality and, and you know, mundanity yeah. of the location you're using. But yeah. by these choice of shots, you're, you're enhancing them because you're making yeah. a study of them, I think is one of the things. Um, Absolutely. And by making a study of them, then that, that is in itself bringing a bit of cinema to the place, which otherwise. Yeah, you know, that's right. It becomes, you're almost, it's almost like a quietly epic, kind of location I and mean, you've got a very mundane ordinary space but you offer it in quite a big you offer you give it a big frame uh, and it's you know like like a surveillance shot really that you know a surveillance camera that offers kind of um, multiple perspectives on one area or one kind of you know a street is there, any, is there any obvious sort of influences you take i mean as a, from a general point of view it reminded me of um what I understand to be sort of formula cinema, which is just a lot, they're not always wide shots, but certainly it's about holding the shot. And yeah, letting, letting yeah, I'm very in. interested in that, actually. I mean, you know, my background, funnily enough, is I, did, I, I wrote a thesis on avant-garde cinema in the 1920s. And, oh, okay. And kind of from the 1920s, like moving from painting into film, um, okay. and the modernist artists moving to cinema. So that's, it's very, what you say is absolutely right and very astute. It's like that formalist, um, cinema um, that uses duration, um, time, you know, unbroken takes. It's something, you know, conceptually that really fascinates me. Um, there's a few, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 you know the, someone like Tarkovsky played with time a lot, and he's often quoted and probably overquoted uh, in, in, in a context like this. But it's something that, you know, you take a film like Stalker, for example, where it kind of takes with last 10 minutes or slow tracking, brooding tracking shots. It really does involve the viewer. It's almost a mesmerizing experience. It becomes something quite mesmerizing. Um, and I like that. And there's a filmmaker now, a guy called Ruben Ostland, who made Force Majeure recently. Um, okay. And he made a film before that as well called Play. I think he's from Sweden uh, or Denmark. God. I don't know. Well, um, he's a Scandinavian filmmaker, and he uses, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he uses long extended takes in this way, where he really offers up a scene, um, a bunch of kids playing or something going on, and really just lets it play like a full reel. In the in the days when we were still, you know, when we were shooting on film, it would be a thousand foot mag, which would, uh, on thirty five mil, which would be ten minutes. 
mm. you know. And John Jost, it was an American filmmaker working in the 60s, 70s, is still working now, actually, a very, very maverick independent filmmaker. Again, he made feature films with 8,000 foot mags, there were eight edits in it, and they're 80 minutes long. And that, wow. you know, that was for him a cheap, economical way of making a film, but it really brought a very interesting, you know, element to his films. I mean, a lot of people were bored and turned and switched off. But on another hand, it's just offering a frame, the, the thought that goes into that one frame and what happens. You know, does the camera move, doesn't it move, what's happening? It's very theatrical, actually. You know, it's like watching a piece of theatre, really. I was going to say, because um, it, it is... It, I think it's about there is there is nothing wrong with maybe a little bit of boredom sometimes because no. that, that that gets rewarded, doesn't it? It's like I think it, that's exactly right. I think it, that's exactly right to reward that. So you sustain that for as much as you can, hmm. and just perhaps you you reach that cusp where the viewer might be beginning to turn off. That's when you hit them with something, you know. And that's a really exciting way of working. I mean, that's really really in, that, that's involvement to the utmost degree. I think. And, and, and it really is playing with the form, isn't it? Because cinema, cinema's meant to be different, isn't it? It's meant, you know, it's not meant just meant to be sort of TV on a big screen. That's exactly it. That's exactly right. And this is the, spe the specificity of cinema. Mm. You know, it's, it's a big frame. You know, you're sitting in a, in a movie theatre and you're looking at a massive image. Um, and, you know, it makes sense sometimes just to let, that, let a wide shot play out, to show the whole world in its epic, you know, massiveness, um, you know, and then that is so specific to cinema. And in a way, I'm, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, that's why I mentioned, that's why I said quietly epic earlier on. It's a very mm. mundane location, as you say. Nothing goes on there. It's very ordinary. But you make it epic mm. by offering that big, wide, static frame, you know. So, it's a, yeah, it's quite right. I mean, it's exactly right what you're saying. I mean, it's very interesting to play with that kind of formal level of filmmaking uh, and also time really where you're just letting duration you know have its you know it's like michael haneke and getting cachet and hidden you mm. know similar sort of thing you're just letting scenes just play out um and the viewer really i mean you know the viewer can go where they want during that time really mm. um <clears throat> i think it's very fascinating very interesting to always remember that formal nature of cinema exactly what is specific to cinema rather than theater or rather than Music or writing or painting or what else? And, th and thankfully, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think I think technology kind of got everyone too excited about how quick we could make images. You know, we could almost go quicker than the frames per second in the way we could edit. And yes. obviously, we we end up producing stuff that's almost like headache-inducing. So it's like brilliant. I mean, that's exactly right. And and, and, and I think I, I work to, in advertising. I, yeah, go you on. know, and that's my bread and butter is yeah. making commercials. Mm. And you know, I spend my life. Um, my, you know, working life really just making 30 second, 60 second spots that, um, you know, with, with, that, that often have 60 cuts in them. Um, and it, as you say, it's a barrage. It, mm. it, 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 it's, a, it's a complete assault of the senses at every level. So sub, subconsciously maybe making over was almost a, a, a reaction against that, you know, against it was the antithesis of making a commercial. You never, ever, the chance of making a commercial with a single shot that doesn't really offer the viewer much information <laughs> is unheard of, you know. However involved the viewer might become, it's just unheard of, and the client would never let that happen. So by making over it, as a personal project in between commercials, it really allowed me to indulge myself with that. And it's almost like, you know, two fingers up at commercials. Well, I was going to say, it's more like taking your shoes off and letting your belt out. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Now the, oppo- so- now, the opposite of these, the, within the film, not to, to sort of give people a completely uh, one, one note impression of it, in between mm. these, these shots that were asked to study, you then, you do, then do throw at us. Yeah. Close-ups, you're not, you're not, you're not, I mean, you're not close-ups with people, but, you know, the other side of cinema is, you know, the beauty of the close-up, you know, and you do it with your uh, evidence stuff. Yes, and yes, I think, exactly. And I think one of the things that's good about the way that you then start to give us that evidence is, and I think, and without, because we've not revealed in the finale, I don't think it's unfair to, to, to reveal that, that well, it, for me watching it, I don't know whether this was your intention, that's where you start to play with us because mm-hmm. you're suggesting something much more sinister that was in my head than your finale. And your finale is no less dramatic from what was in my head, but it was very different. I was imagining all kinds of macabre. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that's right. I think you're right. I think with the evidence <clears throat> in the bags, um, that's a really a real opportunity for me to, when I was talking about teasing the viewer and offering mm-hmm. them misdirects, yeah. Um, that's the place where I can do that because that, as you say, is a little narrative. It's like I'm really telling a story with these details, with these, with these, with these bits of evidence. So a balaclava, for example. Well, I was um, going to say that, that. I mean, that speaks. That says a lot, doesn't it? Without having to oh, say anything. Totally. A balaclava says so much, and a balaclava makes everyone think of, you know, uh, of crime. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, absolutely, an anonymity, um, mm. de- without a doubt. So the balaclava plays a big role there, certainly. You know, there are little things as well. I mean, you know, there, there are little things like, you know, b- b- bits of blood splattered on bits of tissue and, you know, t- little things that you might not notice on first viewing. And that's okay, actually. I mean, I quite like the idea that maybe if you, if you get a chance to look at it a second time, you find other stuff, you know, because there are, within those evidence moments, there is a lot of detail and there's a lot of kind of truth uh, based on fact that I was researching. And, and really just, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Right, I understand why those are there, that, why that's there, why their gloves there. Oh, that's a torch. Okay, yeah, right, there's a torch in this. Of course, you know, there was a torch here, you know, involved. You know, and it wasn't necessarily because something happened at night. You know, so there's all these little clues. And, and that, that's it. And you just... The brain goes crazy. I was going to say... because it's been deprived, doesn't it? It's been deprived of information for so long with these wide shots, and suddenly you're offered all these little nuggets of evidence, and it goes crazy, and it starts connecting things and making stuff up. You know, crazy stuff. Well, exactly, no, and I think think the thing is, for me as a viewer, because you've made me lean in and take notice, then you give me something stark, like one item. Yeah. And and that's the the thing I'm looking at, because it's only blank table and a measure it. You know, so That's I'm it. going. Why is he showing me that? Why? So suddenly, I've got that. I've got that level of like insisting to want. You know, the insistence of wanting to know. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so no, no. Exactly. I, 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 that's off to you for that, mate. That's off. <laughs> um, and it's brilliant, isn't it? It's actually interesting. I just, as we're talking about this, you know, for me again, it's a great process of kind of discovery as well. But you know, the wide shots. You know, I. Yes, while I do want the viewer to look in certain areas and I guide the eye, you know, a lot is left to the viewers. You know, the viewer has to do a lot of work and there's quite a lot of freedom there. But when it comes to those close-ups and the evidence stuff, 
it's actually cinema at its most manipulative, really. Because mm. oh, no, I no. really am saying, right, okay, I'm going to feed this in here and make the viewer really think that this happened. <laughs> so, so just thinking of like the the, the, length, the, the, the effect you got with that place, um, how, how, how do you get to set up a place? I mean, I imagine it's not a busy junction in the first place, but I'm sure you had to do some work to make sure you got that level of serenity for the shoot. How, how did you go yeah. about getting the, getting the location secured for what you wanted? Well, you know, that location is actually about four streets from where I live. I try to keep things very, very simple. Um, <laughs> and, you know, with, I think with short films, it's quite crucial to do that. No, I agree. Um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to make... Uh, uh, oh, I think one of the reasons people make short films is because you can do them a lot quicker than making feature films, of course. Of and course. you can, you know, from the beginning of the process to the end of the process... If, you know, if you're lucky, it can be a couple, a few months, um, you know, and then you can get out and you can let people, you can show people the film and you can get onto the festival circuit and you can work that way. So for me, what was very important with this particular story, and, and it worked obviously kind of from a conceptual point of view to keep it very simple, but mm. that simplicity was key for me. And so it's like one location, um, <clears throat> static shots. So the camera, I didn't have a dolly, I didn't have a crane, I didn't have anything like that keeping it very simple like that. I just secured this location. I told the, um, the location manager, you know, we, we had to get the council involved and block off the street. And because it was a cul-de-sac, like a little square almost, we could just have control of the street. So we really owned it for a couple of days. It okay. almost beca became like a little theatrical set. So how, how, long, how long did it take to shoot then? It took me two days to shoot it. It was uh, two days and then, you know, uh, it was... A quick edit, obviously. The, um, you know, well, you know, while it was a careful edit, it was, it was you know, it's not a highly involved edit. Um, what took most amount of time was um, actually probably something that I'm not even going to talk about because it really would probably offer a spoiler. Yeah. But, um, but you know, there are, there are a few effect shots there. There are a few little moments that involve effects, okay. um, and that of course took took the most amount of time because everything was everyone was working for free and. Um, you know, I think, uh, yeah. So I just had to, I had to live with that. So that then took maybe another month or a month or so. Well, you, you as the director, um, directed your actors, and 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 even though they are sort of their their dialogue is is sort of low mm. in the recording to give us mm. that sense of we're the voyeur looking from afar. Yeah. Well, how 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 did, what what was your direction like to them? I mean, was you mm, very? Mm. Was it? Was are people walking on crosses and long lines? To make no, sure they... not really. Actually, I mean, we we all looked at the frame before each scene. Yeah. And you know, I offered the couple for for example at the start. I mean, the the trajectory for them really was okay. Your car comes in here. That's where you park your car. Mm. There's a bunch of flowers across the street. Find your own way across to those flowers. Have a little chat about them. And then get off to the dinner party, which is at number thirty-nine. You know, <laughs> and that was their trajectory. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. I didn't really offer them too much. And, you know, in the same way with the police, it's like, right, you guys come in from here. You guys come in from here. There's going to be a few witnesses standing around. You're going to go and talk to them. You're going to go and talk to them, and let's just see what happens. So there was a certain amount of you know flexibility and chance that that, that I wanted there. You know, because I think to over-choreograph something like this might have deadened it slightly. Yeah. Um, and I quite liked it. It just it kept me on my feet. And there was always a little element of unpredictability there, you know. I didn't quite, you know, obviously, the, you know, the dog walker and the, and the dog and um, the, 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 the joggers jogging by and the little kid on the bicycle. Obviously, kind of those are all, um, you know, quite carefully timed out. 
mm. but um but 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 it was a really really a combination of that i didn't want to kind of over choreograph i think yeah, i just yeah. told, told people a to b and mm. just see where it see where it went saw where it went really okay I mean, you can, I mean, in a way, you can. It does. It does all appear very naturalistic, and it was kind of what prompted me to ask. Really, it's like, in a sense, I guess the highest compliment can play you is that it doesn't look like they're directed. It looks. It doesn't right, look like right. we. We. I felt like a voyeur. You know. Yeah. On, on, exactly. Exactly. I think that's, that's great. I'm glad you say that. Thanks for that. I mean, you know, in a way, that's job done, and it's like. Yeah, it, it was very much like that. And, you know, these people weren't really, weren't actors. None of these, no one was actors. A couple of the style, like, mates of mine, um, you know, I recorded their sound. We went around there for dinner. My missus and I went around for dinner. We recorded the sound of them going to the dinner party. And we just, you know, they wanted to, you know, they just thought it would be exciting to be in something. Um, borrowed a car, you know, did that. Uh, it was, it was, it, I, just, I was just kind of using my brothers in it. My kids are in it. My missus is in it, you know. Um, so it was really just, getting the neighbourhood together and just involving people, even like the people who actually lived in that square in that little cul-de-sac, um, they all got involved as well. Everyone was quite intrigued by what the hell was going on, especially when the police scene was there. Police Imagine. forensic stuff was going on. They thought, oh, my God, what the hell's happened in our streets? So I had to involve them a little bit, not to piss them off too much. No, no, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Can you tell us maybe what sort of lessons learned from the ad making you were able to bring to this that gave you the confidence to do it? Definitely. I mean, the great thing about making commercials is... Um, I say this. I say this to a lot of filmmakers I meet at film festivals who, you know, might be making their kind of first, second shorts, um, and you know, might, you know, wanting to get into <clears throat> filmmaking of another kind, maybe just to earn money, kind of go into ads and stuff. It's a brilliant, brilliant. Sounds a bit cliche, but it's a brilliant training ground. It really is because when you're making ads, you're shooting a lot. You're shooting, you know, well, with any luck, you're, you know, you're shooting, a, you know, a number of ads. Um, you know, in, in, in a month or so. And it's just, it's like training. It's like being on a training wheel. Um, and, but it's not only that, not only just being with a crew and turning a camera over and directing actors, but you're just, you're just honing it because it's short form as well. And, you know, speaking about that short form, uh, 30, 60 second, you know, narrative storytelling, which commercials are, it's brilliant, brilliant discipline. Um, you know, when it comes to making shorts, it just, it really teaches you to distill stuff. It teaches you to actually edit when you're shooting, um, you know, in your head, you know. So, so yes, there are commercial filmmakers that shoot kind of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. But for me, I mean, the, the process has really been about distillation and, 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 you know, telling a story in as, uh, economical a way as possible, you know, without getting, offering too much fat and, you know, being, getting too indulgent with it. Uh, and that, for me, you know, making commercials is, is just brilliant for that. Um, it really is. Every time with the crew shooting something, um, you know, for a commercial, it's really, it really, I'm really thinking in that short-form, kind of distilled, disciplined way. Um, and, 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 you know, that fed very, very much into um, making this short, without a doubt. I mean, it was, you know... For, for me, I mean, we weren't doing kind of 10, 20 takes. You know, we could get, if, we, if I get it in one take, I'll move on. You know, and that's, and that, and, and that's it's, it's quick. You can work quickly like that, I think. Mm. 
Now, you know, at, at, the, at the other end of the scale, is your uh, is you winding up in experimental theatre in Berlin? <laughs> do you want to... tight? <laughs> do, 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 do you want like now? Obviously, theatre is 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 you know it's 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 a, it's it's different. It's same but different in terms of yeah. um, cinema, but obviously it is definitely different. So, what do you think you're able to appreciate? about what you were doing with this short film that you're taking from experimental theatre in Berlin? That's quite, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that comes back to what we were talking about, formal conceptual cinema. Because mm. what I was doing with experimental theatre in Berlin, a lot of people can't take that very seriously, but it was kind of performance theatre at a time in Berlin where performance theatre was like, massive and yeah. it was con confrontational theater and it was involving the viewer a lot the viewer is a very important part of that cinema of theatrical experience mm. um i was working i was work actually working funnily enough with the director was an architect so it was all about structure and it's all about form and it's very abstract you know it's very very abstract theater mm. that was really just bypassing kind of thought processes and just hitting, going straight for, you know, um, it was using sound and, and, and movement and, 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 you know, offering the viewer kind of short, sharp shocks um, and physical um, responses and physical experiences. And I don't know, I mean, maybe that somehow kind of fed into my kind of interest in, you know, just the form of film, the concept, the very conceptual nature of film, what film does specifically with kind of movement or lack of movement sure. um, or sound or lack of sound, mm. you know. So it's thinking about those things, not necessarily kind of in a conventional storytelling way, but in a more abstract way. And I think that, that abstract thing really interests me. Well, I, I, mean, I, I mean, just to, to, to plug your film again, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's got a finale that is a very human story, that gives you a human yeah, story, yeah. plus you've yeah. done something with the form which makes getting to that point all the more interesting and really gives yeah. that point an exclamation mark. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you make a very good point, Stuart, because, you know, we've spoken a lot about formal conceptual, you know, cinema and the nature of this particular film kind of moving backwards in time and long static shots and blah, blah, blah. But you're right, it's a, you know, it's a very emotional, sad, tragic human story mm. at the centre of it. Oh, without, you know? a doubt. without a doubt. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, that emotion is, is so prevalent there. It's just you know, bubbling with that as well. Definitely. And, it's and not a kind of... That, I'd, I'd say there's, there's as much about the zeitgeist as to what's going on in the world today that's reflected in what, you're trying to, what you've tried to tell with this film. Yeah, you know, and I think that 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 should resonate with people who've got a heart. I think. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And you know, as I said at the very beginning, I mean, it's resonated in the states, you know, wider than I would possibly have imagined, actually, which has been hugely gratifying for me and really, really exciting because it's not an event that actually took place in the states, or it might have. Ha I I don't even people don't even know about that, um, really. And when I uh, won in Palm Springs some months ago, yeah. Um, Something similar had happened in London uh, a day before, uh, and, I, and I mentioned it without revealing what it was, and it really kind of put people's interest. And again, it's something that really kind of hooks people, and they become so intrigued. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just—it's been—it's you know—it's it's been on a really amazing journey. This little film. I was going to—I was going to ask you about your uh, what, what you're up to afterwards with the. Um... With yeah. your first feature script, is there anything you can tell us about it? Yeah, so I've, I've 
finished the script about a month ago, and it's, it's, I'm just beginning to send it out, get, get the feelers out. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a teenage love story. It's a story about two 13-year-old kids who find each other um, uh, at a very, very difficult, unusual time in their lives. So it's about kind of their sexuality awakening. But what, what it is and what's interesting about it um, for me in, in relation to the film we've just spoken about over this short mm. is that, again, I mean, it, it's something that on the surface is a very ordinary, quite mundane, um, it's, you know, it's a tender, sweet, lyrical love story. But it's set against and woven kind of into its fabric is something very, very dark and very sinister and, and very horrible and almost imaginable, unimaginable. Um, and I won't say what that is now. Um, but, but it's, it, it, you know, again, it's a story that on one level is very, very ordinary, but on the other, on the other hand, it's, it, it, it's, in, it's very surreal. Um, and it's that tension again that that produces, those two things that coexist mm. and subtly bubble away, you know, and, 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 and um, <clears throat> you know, um, intersect, I think that, that produces the, the power of the, of the, of the story. So, so, yeah, I'm just, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm, it's with a few, a few people right now, and I'm hopefully, you know, to get that in, in production, kind of, God, within a year would be, would be outstanding. It would be outstanding, given the glacial, <laughs> given the glacial pace of, uh, of film production. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. But good luck, but good luck nevertheless. Thank you very um, much. One question I like to ask people, and it's, it's naughty of me not to have given you a heads up, because I, us- I usually do, but it's, it's the one I always forget to, because it's not about your film. It's, because uh, we're Britflix, we like people to come on and recommend us a British film. Now, that could be a classic that's maybe lost in the annals of time, or that could be a more contemporary film that is maybe not had the marketing budget of Spectre, and could do yeah. with somebody pointing a finger at it and going, that's a good film. You should watch yeah. it. Anything spring to mind? Yeah. yeah, there's a few that spring to mind, actually. Go on, tell um, me a few. I mean, I just saw Ben Wheelie's High Rise, which I think is is a feast. I think it's it's, it's a remarkable bit of filmmaking. Um, it's, 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 it's out there. It's, I'm looking surreal, forward to it's it. It's funny. It's, it's totally maverick. It's, um, you know, it's... So beautifully unpredictable, um, and you know, to to to, to make a, a, a J.G. Ballard novel, you know, such an iconic J.G. Ballard novel, you know, that successfully, um, I think was a real feat. Actually, I think I think it's a great piece of filmmaking. Does it and, does it deliver on the sort of countercultural narrative then? Of, of absolutely, I think it certainly does. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. I, I was really really excited to see that to see that done so well. Actually, because I knew the book. Mm. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's certain films that have popped up for me over the years. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's one film that I loved called Never Let Me Go, which is a film that I always come back to, actually. I don't know um, that one. What's that? It, it's not, it's, it, it's actually made by an American filmmaker, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a film that's set here. Mm. It, it was with Keira Knightley and Kerry Mulligan. Okay. Um, and it's based on an Ishiguro novel. Um, and it's a beautiful um, story. It's it's kind of a sci-fi story, but set in kind of um, in, in England at a, at a boarding school. Um, quite creepy, quite disquieting, dark film. It, it all feels as though it's shot at kind of a certain kind of dusky magic hour time of day. It feels very delicate and ethereal. And it's about these kids um, 
um, <clears throat> finding each other and then um, kind of sacrificing themselves and for, for, for medicine. So it's, really, it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always a film that stayed with me, actually, uh, uh, that, was, that, that was made here. Um, but, and, you know, spate, there's a spate of kind of new English films as well that is coming out of um, a company called Third Film, Sam Halley. He made a um, film recently called Light Years with uh, Estimate Campbell um, and, and, and um, another film called Bypass with Jane Hopkins uh, um, and Blood Cells, of course, was another a third film we did. Really all in the space of the last kind of two, three years. Right, and they're okay. very, well, they're, you know, I've, not, I've not seen these, so I'll check these out. Have you not seen them? They're, no, they're, no, they're no. very beautiful. They're very beautiful films, actually, um, okay. shot by a very talented cinematographer called David Proctor. And, hmm. um, English films, um, <clears throat> you know, quite small, um, uh, understated films, um, you know, very beautiful uh, one of them is set against the backdrop of um, um, the the cattle crisis and uh, foot and mouth disease, okay, uh, blood okay. cells. Uh, that, yeah, <clears throat> blood cells. Um, so yeah, just these kind of quiet, kind of quite unassuming English films that. Um, but I, I wish more people would see. Um, I, <laughs> well, no, that's, and that's why that's why I ask people because I think it's I think this is a good you know that's what Britflix is all about really. So if I can get people to because we can't be on it's so hard to keep track of everything and obviously marketing budgets mean that we know a lot about star wars and spectre for about eight years and, <laughs> uh, and there are films that you know don't get the air to breathe you know that's exactly right and you know i think uh, peter strickland again is a you know an english director who's i think very interesting um uh, you know, the Duke of Burgundy, I think, is his last one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Barbarian Sound. Uh, and and the, 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 the one about the guy in the Italian sound recordings, the sound, Barbarian Sound Studio, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, as well. Fantastic. Just a really interesting, unusual piece of filmmaking, you know, coming out of the English, you know, the warped English kind of psyche. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, in fact, there's some, some very, uh, in- Almost like formula shots of the British countryside, isn't there? That are intercut yeah, with the exactly. uh, with the in, with the intimacy of of a recording studio where the foley artist works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really, really interesting stuff. That was quite a visionary film, though, actually. Yeah, I really cool. loved that film. Well, look, look, uh, look. It's been it's um, we've we've managed to only clock up an hour here, so I think we've done we've done really well because uh, I'm only because <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to talk about your film, and I think that that that, that that's its own praise in itself. So. Uh, Thank, thanks very much for coming on the Britflix podcast and sharing your story of, of the film and making the film, really. That's brilliant. Well, Stuart, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real honour to talk to you, and I'm, I'm really, really happy that the film uh, yeah, made such an impact. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.